0: We're reading from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, beginning of verse 22. About this time last year, we were one week into reading the Bible through in a year. And this will begin, this will be a, a lot of you, of course, uh, got on board with that and uh, were interested in reading the Bible through in a year. And here's some things we discover we discover it's real easy to fall behind, isn't it? Uh, You try as hard as you can, but it's real easy to fall behind. Then you think, I I don't know if I'll ever get caught up. And then sometimes, if you fall far enough behind, you just give up. Well, don't do that. And it's, of course, uh, maybe say, Well, I didn't finish it up for the upcoming year. Well, you don't have to stop just because the year ended. Uh, You can keep on. One other thing that uh, many of you discovered is, of course, we went through the Bible program through chronological order, and you realize the Bible's not written in chronological order because you were skipping around different places. Another thing that you uh, noticed is the same incident is mentioned maybe twice or several times. In the Old Testament especially, you have a historical event that's mentioned in the Kings, the Chronicles, and in Isaiah. And if you were listening to it online and didn't have it where you could see where you were, you may have thought, well, my machine's messed up, and it just started all over again. You know, I've heard this before, but that's the way the Bible is. Now, if you want to keep on reading, that's great. Whether you follow this program or whether you follow another pattern, read your Bible. Uh, If you want to read through it, uh, the whole Bible in a year, that's fine. If you want to find a good place to start, if the Old Testament is a bit much when you get into the, uh, the law and so forth, start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them gives a perspective on the life and ministry of Jesus. How can we be like Jesus? We don't know who he is and how he is like, and so that's a good place to start. The book of Acts tells us what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven, and the disciples were left, of course, to carry on the work he gave us to do. After the book of Acts, we have the writings of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul deals with the problems and circumstances a lot of these churches faced as he wrote to them, and they were trying to do the business of the Lord. And, of course, his writings reflect uh, the important Christian doctrines of the church concerning salvation, concerning how we should live, concerning who God is concerning the church. So that kind of gives you a pattern of what's going on in the New Testament. If you're trying to find a place to start, start somewhere. And if you fall behind, don't give up and don't quit. You just pick up where you left off. This passage of Scripture that we're looking at, we've looked at it several times before. It's not a rerun, uh, simply because why do we circle back around to the same passage of Scripture? You know we've read from it before, and here's the reason why. This passage of scripture, though it's not a long passage of scripture, there's more in this passage than we can possibly look at in one sermon unless we stayed here a long time. I try to be, of course, mindful of your schedule, try to keep things in little digestible portions. And so we look at a passage of scripture, you cannot cover every detail here in one sermon. There's just too much here. So we, we circle back around. As we look at this passage, you might say, well, this doesn't really apply to me simply because I'm not going through a storm right now, and that's typically how we apply this passage of Scripture. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture when we go through the storms of life, and you may not be nowhere near a storm, and you may not face a storm this year, and you may not have had a serious issue in your life, and you may say, well, all this is foreign to me, Oh, no, this passage of Scripture, what we're going to look at is not zero in so much on the storm is the fact that there's some good points in here as we consider the view of the fact that we have a whole year in front of us. Whether you have a storm this year or not, or you don't even know what a storm of life is, there are some important times to remember. These times, whether you have a storm or not, will come up. They'll come up sometimes every day in our lives. Let's identify these times. Let us look at the significance of these times. Make the most of the year that we have before us by looking at this passage, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now an evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the year before us. We thank you that you have a plan for us, and you have ways for us, approved ways for us to encounter the circumstances and events that come our way. We don't know what's coming. Father, you do teach us how to face these things, how to prepare for what's even unknown in our lives. Through your word and through time with you, Father, we ask that you would just help us to face every day's opportunity and make the most it of the year that you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Important times to remember in the upcoming year. First of all, we don't want to forget this. Let's just put this first on the list. Whatever times and whatever you do this year, you always need to remember the time to pray. You look at this passage of Scripture and say, well, you really got that right. Man, the time to pray was then for the disciples. They were in that boat and they were rowing. And they were fighting the waves, and the more they rowed, the worse it got. And the, it says the, the wind tossed them. And of course, three different gospels mention this, and all of them mention the fact that these guys were in a bad, bad way. You better believe they should have been praying. And when these things happen, I'll be praying too. That's not the time of prayer that we're talking about. The time of prayer we're talking about came. Before the storm, Jesus sent the disciples away. Jesus sent the crowds away. And Jesus found some time to be alone to pray. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. You might say, Well, you don't know my busy schedule. No, I don't. But I do know Jesus was a busy man, and Jesus found some time to be alone and pray. Now, he was deliberate. To pray, He was deliberate to pray after the victory. It was right after feeding the 5,000. If you're looking for a fact that could be claimed as a victory in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, that could be claimed as a victory when in front of thousands of people, Jesus did the impossible. Jesus did the thing that can only be explained by one thing. He is God. That's the only reason he could feed this many people. They saw it. And you could say that this was a a great victory. This was a good day. That's really one of the most important times for us to pray. You see, it's after this good day that we have a return of an earlier temptation. In the book of Matthew chapter 4, you understand where Jesus was tempted by Satan. And I don't understand how all this went on, but it says specifically Satan took him up to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. This is verse 8 through 11. He says, if you'll fall down and worship me, this will all be yours. You can be king of this world right now. All the political kingdoms because they they were his to give because there's a lot of political kingdoms that are right there in the hands of Satan. We mentioned this last week, how many political kingdoms have fought against God fought against Christianity, how many political systems actually fight and resist and deny to even acknowledge God and not only just not able to deny, but always fighting against what the Bible. So we understand that those were definitely his to give and he said these can all be yours. What's that have to do with this passage? Well, Mark and John also wrote about this. John gives us the details Of this temptation coming back around in John chapter 6. As I mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them give us different perspectives on the life of Christ. There are some events that are mentioned in more than one gospel. And so we look at all the different uh, gospel writers, the three gospel writers, we get a full picture because every one of them brings out details, another one didn't. And in John chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus has fed the multitudes, the 5,000. Those men, when they had seen the sign or the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. He got away from them. Why? They were so thrilled about the miracle. They wanted to make him king, not a spiritual king, but a political king. And Jesus had zero interest in politics, zero interest in political world. They wanted to make him a political king, and he could have done it. He could have unseated Caesar. He could have done it. This was not what he had in mind. You see, he had something far greater in his mind than politics. He had something far greater in his mind than than that realm. He was thinking about the salvation and redemption of humanity, and that had nothing to do with the political kingdoms at that time. So when he saw that they were wanting to make him king, that was the old temptation coming again to have a political kingdom. Satan offered it to him one way, and now he offers it to him another way. And so when he is facing the temptation, he went to the mountain to pray. Now, this could be, and probably is, scholars uh, imply, the reason that it says when Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, the King James says compelled. And what this meant, it was a continual effort They were resisting getting into the boat. They wanted to stick around a little while. And it said Jesus had to make them get into the boat. Now, we could take the high road and say they didn't want to leave Jesus. And and that could be understandable. They They were insecure without him being around. They wanted to stay with him as long as possible. But then we also know it could have been that other reason. These people were wanting to make Jesus king, and obviously they'd be right on board with that. They were all about that. They couldn't understand perhaps why Jesus was not interested because their understanding was still limited. And so Jesus had to make them get into the boat. And when he made them get into the boat, he spent a night on the mountain by himself to pray. You see, we need to look at the Jesus knew that it was important to find a time to pray. In the book of Psalms, chapter 55, verse 17, David says, Morning, evening, and at noon you'll hear my voice. Now, that doesn't mean that <clears throat> we have to stop <clears throat> what we're doing, go home from work, go home from school, come here to the church, get some time alone to pray. But what it does mean is this, throughout the entire day, whether you're with people or not, whenever you're busy or you're not, we need to always be in an attitude of prayer. A continual conversation with God about what's going on. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5:17. Pray without ceasing. That means wherever we are and whatever we're doing. But it also means this: we need to find a time to deliberately by ourselves talk to God about what went on today about what's going to come up today. You can pray in the morning. You can pray in the evening. We call it our prayer time. Make sure wherever it is, and it could be a set time and a set place, or it could be wherever you are, make that time to pray. We need to talk to God. And as we mentioned every Sunday, people need us to pray for. Them. People need to know that we're praying for. Them. Then there's a time to be alone to pray. Then there's a time to work with others a time to work with others a little detail that may pass over us but notice what he said he sent the multitudes away and he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side now mark gives the details in chapter 6 verse 45 through 48, that Jesus saw them in the boat and said they were toiling and rowing. It meant they were working hard. They were working hard because the wind was contrary. Now, the word contrary means the wind was blowing against them. They were rowing into the wind. It was blowing them back to the way they would come. Now, in ordinary circumstances, if a storm like that were to come, the logical thing to do would be turn around and let the wind blow you back to the shore where it's safe. That's what they would normally have done. But Jesus said, you'll meet me on the other side. I'll meet you there. You go to the other side and I'll meet you there. Though the instructions they received from Jesus was, I will see you on that side. Their instructions were to go in that direction. And they were all working together to go in the direction that Jesus had asked them to go. Wow, what an example for the church where everybody is rowing hard to go in the direction that Jesus asked us to go. And not just everybody working hard, working hard together. Now I don't know if any of you have ever been in a canoe. Some of you have been in a canoe, float down the Buffalo River. That's always an experience. Usually there's two people in a canoe. And if you ever had had to deal with a canoe and, and of course navigating that canoe around obstacles, Two people rowing in a canoe cannot just do their own thing and get that canoe to do what it needs to do. You have to work together on that. You have to work and cooperate. Now, this is the same thing in that boat. I don't know how many oars there were and how many folks were rowing in the boat, but it was several, several of them, and all of them had to work together if they were going to reach the other shore. Now, the wind was blowing against them. Sometimes working together is easy. Sometimes working together is quite hard. And it's quite difficult. But they were working together in the direction Jesus told them to go. And through the upcoming year, there'll be a time to work with others. Now, what days will that be? That will be pretty much every day. We have to work together. We have to work with each other. And we have to work hard sometimes for all of us to get in the direction Jesus wants us to go as a church. So therefore, keep that in mind through the upcoming year. And then thirdly, there's a time to wait on God. To wait on God. Now, I'll look at this passage of Scripture in a minute and show you the instance where people were waiting on God. But first, let's look at the importance of waiting on God in the 37th Psalm. 37th Psalm. There's about eight verses for us to look at. And remember, we're looking at the time to wait on God. Psalm 37, verse 1. <clears throat> Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his fullness Delight yourself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he'll bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And listen to this. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He mentions three times the opposite of waiting on the Lord. And there's that word fret. Three times he says, don't fret. Now, I had to look that word up. We don't use it that much. And of course, in the English dictionary, to fret means to be Visibly anxious or nervous or frightened. Don't fret. And what David is saying, don't worry. Don't despair. Don't give up. Don't get anxious. Because despite how things appear, God is in control. Because he has separate things in it. It looks like all the wicked people are getting ahead and we're falling behind. He says, don't fret because of that because God's got everything under control and he's going to work things out. Now, that is the main definition of the word fret. But I always like to look in the original language, so I looked in the Hebrew language for the word fret as it is uh, used here. The word fret in Hebrew is the word hurrah. Now, When I heard that, I remembered that word. That word is the same word that we find in the book of Jonah, chapter 4, when Nineveh was not destroyed and Jonah became very angry. And God said, are you doing the right thing to be angry? That word angry is the same word for which we, with the word, fret. So what it's saying is, don't be anxious, don't be nervous, don't be irritable. So that brings me to this conclusion. When we will not rest and wait patiently on the Lord, we are more prone to be irritable in our daily life. But nobody here has any problem with that, I'm pretty sure, do you? Or nobody you live with has any problem with that. Or maybe you work with has any problem with that. You know, you have to wonder what's up with him? Why are these so angry? It could be he's not waiting on the Lord. If we'll wait in the Lord, because you know what anger is? Anger is always a response to pain. And when you run into somebody that's constantly angry, they are hurting when you are constantly irritable something's hurting you it's a discomfort and the opposite of irritability and the opposite of anxiousness is waiting on the lord the disciples whether they knew it or not were waiting on the lord they left his presence because he told them to. They left his presence about sundown. They didn't see him again till the fourth watch of the night, which had been about 3 a.m. So we know for seven or eight hours they were rowing that boat. And they didn't know it, but they were waiting on God because they really needed him to show up. And so we understand, wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound like waiting on God. Oh, let's just look at it a little bit closer. Waiting on God does not mean giving up and folding our hands and doing nothing. Ooh, all is lost. All I can do is just give up and wait on God. They didn't know it, but they were waiting on God, but they were doing something. You see, they had a meeting. With Jesus planned. That meeting was coming up later on, but they were having to work to get there. They were rowing across the other side knowing they would see Jesus. And so we realize yes, in a way, they were waiting on seeing Jesus again and experiencing time with him, but all the while, they were doing something. To put it in another perspective, The classic passage of scripture on waiting on God is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. This passage of Scripture is on our walls a lot of times. People have it on their walls, artwork, and so forth. It's beautiful passage of Scripture. Let's read it and see what it says. But those who wait, wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those that wait on the Lord, resting, not fretful, But trusting says they'll renew their strength. And it says they're going to do some things. When you're waiting on God, you're going to do some things. First of all, we like this passage, they'll soar, mount up with wings like eagles. They'll just soar and mount up. They'll fly like eagles. And eagles, of course, catch the thermals on their big wings, and they just go higher and higher and higher, Say, man, I'd like to live that way for the Lord. That's the times of victory, the times of strength, the times of rejoicing, the times of everything seems to come together. And we see how it's all working out. And it's one of those mountaintop experiences. But it also says this, those that wait on the Lord shall run and not be weary. What, what does it mean when we're running and not weary? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, you remember where the apostle Paul or the writer of Hebrews said, Therefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. When we're running, Running in the scripture means that we're doing our job. Doing our job. We're filling our role. The Bible speaks in the book of Psalms as the word of God, like a strong man running the race. That's when we're we're doing the work. We're active. And we're filling the role that God gives us. This could be the majority of our time. Things are going pretty much as planned, but as things are going as planned, we're doing what God wants us to do, and we feel, we'll, we'll feel strong about it. But then it says this, they shall walk and not faint. Sometimes you've got the strength to fly. Sometimes you're just slogging along like those uh, disciples just rowing your boat as. Hard as you could row. And it goes on for day and day and day and week after week after week. And the entire year you're running the race. Then there comes the times where you can't run. You gotta just walk. Now, the walk in Scripture has to do with what kind of person we are. In Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, you've been raised in newness of life walk in newness of life in John chapter 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 walk in the light as he is in the light not in deeds of darkness and then in chapter 2 verse 6 of the book of 1 John he that says he abides in Jesus should walk just as he walked wow so what does it say about resting in God waiting on God is not just sitting there and letting things just wash over you like the waves. It means sometimes we are busy soaring like eagles. Sometimes we're just running the race and doing the job, doing our work and filling our role day after day faithfully. And then, of course, through it all, we are walking like Jesus asked us to walk. We're walking in the light. We're walking in love, as he said. And we are, of course, walking as Jesus walked. You see, we can do this, Because we are waiting on God. Now, the word wait here means more than just passing the time. It means confident expectation. Now, you can see why that's the difference between fretting and waiting. Confident expectation. Throughout the year, it's time to wait on God. Time to wait on God in times of trouble and in times of work. But it's time to wait on God when facing big decisions. You look in this passage of Scripture, there's one big decision in this passage of Scripture that we looked at in Matthew. Let's let's see if you catch that. Verse 28. Jesus answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter wanted to do what Jesus was doing. Now the word if here means since. Since it is you. The the verb structure in the original language, the Greek, since it is you. He knew it was Jesus. He said, since it's you, so he could trust him in this, he said, Ask me to come walk on the water to you. He really wanted to do that. That was something he really wanted to do, and that was a big decision. He thought that would be something that that would be a good thing. And we all say, well, there's Peter, all impulsive, just jumps out of the boat to walk on water to go to Jesus. No. You know what he did before he stepped out of the boat? Listen close. This is important. He asked Jesus' permission first. Before he went forward with his plan to walk on water, he said, Jesus, I'm checking with you. Is it okay with you? And he asked his permission. There'll be times where we're faced with decisions. They may be little decisions. They may be big decisions. And sometimes they're not moral decisions. There's an obvious right and there's an obvious wrong. It's a, it's a good thing or a, a better thing. How, how, do we, how do we face those? Well, we wait on God. We ask his permission, we ask for his wishes, and we wait to listen from him. Notice, Peter did not step out. Of the boat. Until Jesus gave him some indication. Of what he wanted him to do. Wow. What. What a lesson for us. But this is the beauty. About walking on water. When we wait on God. And when we trust him. And not fret. And when we seek his permission. And his will. We. We can do what Jesus does. That's what Peter was saying. I just really want to do what you're doing. Can I do what you're doing? He said, come on out. And you know he did. He floundered a little bit and we know how the story owned that, but he walked on water. With Jesus, he walked on water. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is so totally foreign." What do you mean doing what Jesus does? Oh, we don't want to miss this. Now, we look at the ministry of Jesus. There's some things that only Jesus can do. But there are a lot of things Jesus did we can do through the upcoming year. By waiting on him in our times of prayer, and our times working together, here's what we can do. What did, what did Jesus do? Jesus shared the truth. Jesus encouraged the downhearted. Jesus Helped those who are hurting. Jesus loved the lost. Are we doing what Jesus is doing? Are we doing what Jesus is doing? We can do what Jesus is doing when we remember these important times through the upcoming year. I don't know about you, but I love the idea throughout the rest of the year doing what Jesus does. And Jesus does all these things and that outlines our work for him through the upcoming year. I don't know where you are, whether you have a storm in life, whether you've even acknowledged that Jesus is who he says he is, whether you've got a trouble. These are the times you need to go to God and pray about it. We need to seek His will and wait on His permission and work together. But now, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, there's not a relationship between you and Christ. That really needs to be taken care of. So let me tell you, everything was all right when Jesus got in the boat with them. And when Jesus is in life with you, it'll just be a lot better. As we stand and sing, what number? Number 103.